The following program is brought to you by Podcast One Sportsnet. Don't forget to download our new Podcast One app. Quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did. Go check out Kyler Murray in his NFL debut. That's my favorite thing about NFL Game Pass. You can go back and watch at any time. And if you haven't watched a condensed game yet, you have to try it out. It's every play from the game back to back to back so you can replay an entire NFL game in the fraction of the time it normally takes. It's how I'm able to follow all the MVP candidates, all the breakout stars, and, of course, your waiver wire pickups all season long. To see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at NFL.com slash NFL. Pluto TV is the leading free streaming television service. Watch over 100 TV channels and thousands of movies on demand all for free. No credit card needed. No sign up. Pluto TV is the easy and completely legal way to watch your favorite TV shows and hit movies. What are you waiting for? Never pay for TV again. Download Pluto TV for free on all of your favorite devices today. Looking for the best sports coverage on the web? Then check out the Dan Patrick Show on Podcast One Sportsnet. Join the sportscaster Monday through Friday as he covers the biggest games all year long with a whole bunch of A-list guests from the world of sports and entertainment. Download new episodes of the Dan Patrick Show every week, only on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Welcome in to the PFF NFL podcast. Steve Palazzolo back here with Sam Monson. The team is back. Right. Sam. Reunited. No more Mike. We're back. No. Go on that. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's a whole new season. A whole new season of energy here. Yeah. It's great. How was vacation, Steve? It was fantastic. Part two. Part two. Yeah, Yeah, we split up the vacation, but uh, yeah, part two was great. Did a lot of beach, did some... uh, you know, pool, just, you know, your normal summer activities back in uh, Boston. Back in the uh, back in the Cape. Yeah, we were on the Cape yeah, for a few days. Uh, Kelly's family lives down there, and they do a great job. We joke that they're like our uh, little bed and breakfast or whatever. But, you know, they take care of the kids. That's the big one. They gave us a date night. They give nice. us a date night every year. But they got this old, like, 99 convertible that they give us. So I go driving in the convertible for our little date and all that. That's just it's fun. Go to the beach a little bit. Had a birthday party for my for Harry, my nice. four year old. Yeah, it was really hot on uh, Saturday. It's that whole it's uh, pretty hot here the last heat few wave. Days. Yeah, I think it was hotter in Mass than it was here. I mean, it could have been, but it's yeah. like it's at the temperature where it doesn't matter how much hotter than this it is. This is already unbearable. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So like that was where you uh, go outside the door and you're like three seconds later you're just drenched in sweat. It felt like a death. furnace. Yeah, in Boston on Saturday. So for our kids' party, we made it early in the day. And then uh, told them to go inside. <laughs> we yeah. got everybody inside to the uh, AC. So, 
Hey, people said they liked the banter, so here we are. I'm telling you about the uh, the vacation, the personal life, but it's it's NFL football season time. What, what, well, hang on, hang on. We, we, let's continue the banter for a minute because I want to get to the idea that you went home to Boston, right? Yes. Which is where your haircut lady lives, and you did not get the haircut. I did not. So now... You convinced me. You went... I didn't convince you. I, if anything, suggested that giving Katie another crack was... Was risky. Well, somebody in Cincinnati needs another crack at it because we're playing the we're playing the long game here. Yeah, I'm gonna need more than one Cincinnati haircut. I can't rely on Steph in Massachusetts uh-huh. for my once a once a year that I go back. So you're gonna give you're, you're gonna give it another shot here. I am. I mean, it, it really didn't go well last time. It got back on track. I mean, it's yeah. did it. There was a middle phase. You know, it was too short at first, then it grew back, and now it's at a phase where I think the shape is just off. Right. Which means that how many months ago was it that you got it cut? Look, it doesn't. Look, I know it was a failure. We know that it wasn't right. great. But how many months ago was that? I don't know, February. Right. So if it's off now, and it was really off in February, that means you've gone like five months of it being some degree of not right. That's a long time to have a botched haircut. I know. That's all right. And yet you're going to roll in with a second shot for the lady and say, hey, well, we'll mistakes maybe were we'll made. Grab, maybe we'll grab somebody else. Mistakes were made last time. How about you? you we're going to do right more research, time. find someone else, but we have to got to develop here. Okay. You yeah. had, I mean, to be fair, you'd done the research last time. You had like a list of people. They gave me the wrong person. That were acceptable yeah. to give your hair, to give it a shot. And somehow you didn't get any of those three people and you wound up with Katie instead. And apparently Katie's expertise level was not commensurate to quality haircut maybe i'll go this week we'll get we'll get michael down there we'll cover it on social media we should definitely do that i don't think we should at oh, all we, should have we don't think we should at we all we should definitely if i'm like mid haircut just like no it's too much <laughs> don't do it we should absolutely send michael there to instagram story your haircut yeah that would be outstanding particularly if you get i i would watch it just for the 15 second you know frame whatever they're called those instagram story segments right the final 15 second frame which is you in the cape and they pull up the mirror and it's like how's this it's just just a train wreck and you have to go good just a single tear rolls down steve's face as he says you gotta hide it you gotta hide it no looks good katie looks good don't worry about it i'll be back I will be back. Maybe I'm going to give, you know, Alejandro a shot next time, Katie. It's just not working out. That's what I need. I got to find the person who knows what they're doing over there. Anyway, got to get a haircut out here at some point. Okay, now we can talk NFL. All right. So we're still still pretty much in the offseason. Right, but we're almost, I mean, depending on how you define, you know, football being back, we're almost there. Training camps have officially opened. The Hall of Fame game is, what, August the 1st? Yeah, like that's that's a that's week from there. Thursday, right? Yeah, um, I, I mention it every year. I think you make fun of me for it every Probably. year. But this was the time of year, growing up, where you'd have those ESPN thirty-minute specials or NFL Films thirty-minute specials, yeah. looking back at the previous year's uh, team's year. You know, the Cleveland Browns went two and fourteen in nineteen ninety-nine, and they just you know they focus the whole thirty minutes on the two wins. Yeah, it's like after their week two win, the Browns lost twelve straight, but in week fourteen. Yeah. They bounced back. I mean, those were fun. That was like there wasn't training camp coverage back then. You'd get like a couple notes right. from camp. But that was kind of like late July, early August. That was how you got back into football. Now it's all these training camp updates and people reporting every single play, which is probably overkill. Yes. But you at least get some information of what's happening. It camp. is. It is definitely overkill. Um, but I think the issue is 
it's back with all this stuff, right? Now, the, when you rely on other people for your information, you rely on how they present the information to you, right? So this is right. the issue with anonymous sources, is that I then have to trust your ability to evaluate the source for me, right. which I don't want to do because, you know, in a lot of cases, I think you're an idiot. So I don't want to trust what you're telling me about a source. I would like to evaluate the source for myself so I can judge whether or not to pay any credence to it. Right. Training camps are the same kind of thing where it's not an anonymous source, but it's I need to trust your interpretation of what's going on and your ability to present what is actually valuable or not. Like right? the reporter. Yeah, yeah, the reporter. So we get one guy who's, oh, blah, blah, big, big play by whatever receiver or quarterback down the sideline, yada, yada, yada. You're like, well, I mean, that happens every single practice, right? What I want to know is... Like which guy was consistently sta- stand out right. in this practice and how many times has he done that so far in camp, that kind of stuff. So some guys are excellent at it. You get some reports from certain reporters and they're exactly what you want and they actually do a great job of identifying the people that are legitimately standing out or stinking in training camp. And there's you know something interesting to that, even if it's not necessarily predictive. And then you get other guys where they're just literally like every piece of information is being conveyed like it was – the San Antonio Holmes catch in the Super Bowl in terms of right. great uh, catch along the sideline. Yeah, so well, that's even like interception annoying. totals and stuff. like everything we do here at PFF is to bring context to interceptions. So when it's like, oh, this quarterback went seventeen of twenty nine with two interceptions during right. you know team drills, it's like, all right, was it a tip? Yeah, was it a drop pass? For an, it, there's no context behind it. You just get some stat. You know what else is happening this week? What's that? I'm going to stop being a year younger than you. Oh, that's right. It's your. Which day again? Twenty fourth. Yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna get old again. That's right. Because be, my, my mom's birthday is the twenty fifth. You're yeah. the twenty fourth. I'm gonna get the same age as you again, which means we're both old. Yeah. yeah. Thirty seven. Is that right? Oh God, yeah, it is. It's two thousand nine. Yeah, thirty seven. Wow, that's rough. Yeah, we are old. That's rough. Yeah. So happy birthday, Wednesday. What I, that came? I can't remember who it was. But what are you it, What are you gonna do for your birthday? I don't know. So, should we take you out? Wings. <laughs> yeah, let's go to Wings. It came up the other day, and I can't remember what it was. It was like some guy that had no hope of getting back to, you know, getting a job again in some athletic field. Like, I don't think it was NFL, but it was some other sport. And like, that guy's got no shot of getting signed again. I was like, it's a pretty bad sign when the guy that's got no shot of getting signed again because he's too old. He's like, like 20 years younger than me. He's 29, 30. Yeah, he's like 35, I think. You're like, that guy's done. You're like, he's like two years younger than me. That's, yeah. That's bad. I mentioned that last year when we talked about our age. It is weird being at the age when athletes are over the hill. Right. And now we're getting past that. Now yeah. we're getting to the point where they're long over the hill. They're long. Done. Yeah. Well retired. You know, you've got guys eight years younger than you retire and yeah. stuff. And it was like a good career. <laughs> it was like a good seven or eight year. Like Patrick yeah. Willis retired at right. 30. Yeah, and good innings. Yeah. Yeah. Here yeah, we are. That's not good. Well, the good news is there's older people listening to us right now. So that's true. You know, they're like, oh, you idiots. And then there's younger people like, I don't care about your age. Who cares? Old yeah, guys. Old Ethan over there looking at these yeah. gray haired geriatrics. He's like 12. Right. I mean, I have gray hair. You just have. Well, I got no hair left to go gray. Less. It's yeah. perfect. Mine's, if it's well timed, to be honest, mine's going, it's falling out before it has a chance to go gray. Imagine 10 years from now, we're sitting here doing the PFF NFL podcast and I'm fully gray. You're well, fully bald. Like the, it's going to be incredible. like the face app thing. Oh, yeah. yeah. We'll look People like are going to watch us face app through the we, years. We never posted any of those publicly. But By the way, did you, you, put my, you sent my face to the Russians. A little bit. You put my face the, on the app. The Russians came out and said that they don't really do any of the nefarious stuff that they're entitled to do by their terms and conditions. They were like, look, oh, that's okay, we then. store the stuff on, on the server, in the cloud. 
We store the stuff in the cloud, but only for like 48 hours. And it's just to improve like caching speed of the app. They're like, we don't send it anywhere else, even though according to our terms and conditions, we can. And all the complicated stuff isn't actually done in Russia, even though we're, you know, the R&D team is Russian or whatever. So they came out and said, you're all worrying over nothing. I don't know what your problem is. Oh, and okay. I, for one, believe our Russian friends over there. Well, if they said it. Exactly. Good. Because uh, I didn't put my face on the app, but you sent me a picture of me old, so I'm yeah. in the app, well, I guess. I, mean, I did it, yeah. So uh, we didn't post them anywhere publicly, right? Nor but should we? They're overdone. <laughs> Too many. <laughs> Whatever. Cares. Mine looked, I looked a lot like Rich Eisen, who'd oh, let himself go. You really did. Right? You really did. Which I didn't see coming. I mean, I, I haven't, I'd never put that together. That apparently me and Rich Eisen. Yeah, you've got some Rich Eisen type features. Right. Yeah, yeah you're like, uh, you know, red... A red Rich Eisen. A red Rich Eisen? Well, look at the beard. That's a, you got a red beard. It's not really red. It's red. It's not red, red. It's red. It's, you're, you're Irish. Use a tint. Red Rich Eisen. That's great. So then you become gray, you like were, Rich is. Yeah. You had... Will be. You got very jowly. Yeah. Apparently, sagging cheeks is in your future. I could see that. I got a lot of... Lots of sag here. <laughs> a lot of... Yeah. So, yeah, that, that, that's, those are apparently our face app characteristics. I turned into a, a, a rich eyes and fall not hard times, and you just began to collectively sag around the jowls. Now we're going to talk football? Sure. Neil, Neil's watching us live. Oh, he's going he to come down. His mind he's going right to come now. down from the office and say, can you guys talk about football, please? Oh, he'll break into this door like any he minute. I, I, was, I heard somebody outside. I was expecting <laughs> it to be him. Like, you All guys right. start Training talking camps. football. What are we going to talk about? So I think uh, training camp storylines, you know, what are the what are the things I, I do get excited for training camp and the preseason to a point. I know it's tough to it's not about team win win lo- wins and losses. Right? It doesn't matter if a team goes three and one or four and oh in the preseason. It doesn't always matter if you see a starter like if, if Aaron Rodgers has a good or bad preseason. It doesn't really matter, though, this year it will be interesting to see his uh, his reps in the new offense. But I think it's a great way to. First off, you get your first look at the rookies, first look at rookie quarterbacks in particular, and you just get, you also get those like second, third, and fourth year guys, like a John Ross, right? Guys who haven't done a whole lot in the regular season is something different this year. Um, So I think those are the most interesting stories all the time. You get your rookies, your rookie quarterbacks, and the players who maybe haven't had a ton of regular season action. But, you know, this is their year to, to show something. And, of course, all the new, just all the new acquisitions. I teams. honestly love, like, the one random guy who just stands out all the way through training camp who's, you know, nobody on a roster, right? The guy buried at the bottom, fifth string right tackle or whatever, fifth yeah. string defensive end, and he's the one guy that's getting pressure, like, every single rep. Those the are the guys that are fun. Yeah, they, well, with Cap Cappy, there's a bunch of guys that do it in preseason as well, but there's something – I like those guys where you get to see one guy – clearly standing above where he is currently you know on the depth chart or or, uh in the situation and see them completely outperforming where they are those guys are fun to watch right and i've I've always had this feeling where you can clearly identify somebody that's playing above the level they're they should be at right that doesn't necessarily mean that where they are is capable of the next level but it means you should at least give them that shot so yeah, the cap cappies, the guys that crush it in preseason, at the very minimum, those guys have earned some regular season reps to right. see if they can do it at that level. And if it turns out they can't, fine. But don't just say, well, we clearly know he's not capable of it. Because wherever he is right now, he's too good for that. So give him the shot at the next, the next level. 
But then the analyst in me always talks, you know, thinks about sample. The whole preseason is just one small sample right, size. You get a lot and of guys, in odd situations, right? You get a lot of those guys players. that do it consistently every single year. You no, know, there's, there are clearly players that outperform their second string status every preseason. Right. And like at some point, you need to give that guy a first string status and see what happens. What's his face from the Packers who was getting pressure all the time? Mr. Preseason. Yeah. I just lost his name. He tore it up in the AAF as well. Jaron Elliott? Yeah, Jaron Elliott. I mean, he. Um, he had, he was, was a bunch of those guys. And yeah. the, the best ones are the ones where you see it in <laughs> you see a guy who's actually been given the starting shot and is clearly is not good enough for that, right? But there's right. obviously this middle level where I'm not a, I'm not good enough to be getting first team reps in regular season, but I'm way better than second string reps in preseason. Right. So you get a guy at Lager Doosable was the one that always used to show up. So every preseason, Doosable would show up. That's right. Crush a string of second team offensive linemen. And you're like, well, we, I mean, we've given it a shot already. We know you're not good enough for first-team reps at this right. point. But it's great to see him go out there and just destroy well, that was Ziggy. second string. Ziggy Hood, one of our right. lowest-graded defensive linemen for years since he was a first-round pick with the Pittsburgh Steelers. He would never grade well for us, but he'd have decent preseasons yeah. when he, you know, because he was with, you know, second string a lot. So of it's the like the cautionary tale. Just because your guys are crushing it in preseason doesn't yeah. necessarily mean they're going to do in the regular season because there is clearly a defined level between the two right where you're not good enough to be in the regular season but you're way better than second string but there there i think those guys at least you know put a hand up and deserve some kind of shot at the the next level the other uh, thing that i think we see with rookies is obviously because we live in social media world we have to completely overreact to everything a rookie does yeah everyone's guilty right this is a guy i liked therefore he makes a great play confirmation bias let's talk about right and then if he has a bad play whatever what i think i've seen from rookies the last couple years the more we've evaluated i mean they truly haven't changed as players since the last time you saw them if they're going to change as players it's going to happen further down the line but essentially daniel jones and dwayne haskins and kyler murray they're in different situations, different worlds, but they're pretty much going to show the same skill set that they showed in college. For the most part, I mean, there's, a, there's always a few exceptions. I think Dak Prescott took massive strides that people didn't expect. He looked like an NFL quarterback instantly in the preseason, and it's carried through those first three years where at Mississippi State he was much more inconsistent. But a lot of times for the rookies, you're like, oh, like Deshaun Kaiser, people were going crazy for a couple of years ago right. because he had one great game that showed spectacular throws, and it was like... He's done that before. We've seen that. That's not different. And then the next game, he was terrible. And it's like, okay, we've seen that. That's, he is what he is. I think that was the really fun thing about the AAF, briefly, is that you got to see that almost regardless of what the, what the game is, what the level is, people are who they were. Right. They haven't changed. Right. All the quarterbacks that showed up, pretty much the ones that were good in the AAF were the ones that graded well in college. The right. ones that stunk in the AAF were the ones that stunk in college. Um, and pretty much the same across the board. Like, and, could, that's, and that's the big chunk, right? And then there's always some outliers on either end. You could almost circle the guys that had like legit NFL experience and were decent in that experience right. and the ones that were just you know, not good players right. from the outset. And it, it translated over. And a lot of the college stuff is the same. You know, guys that were exceptionally good at whatever are still exceptionally good at it. People don't tend to take this. They don't tend to lurch wildly from one end to the other like if you're a terrible college player the chance of you being a good nfl player even if you have spectacular athleticism are minimal right now it does happen occasionally but it's a really small chance that it's going to come to fruition which is and don't and you know don't focus on 
the outliers. Right. Deion Jones was a big outlier for us in that case. Yeah. He's turned out to become spectacular. And that's why when we're evaluating these college players, all we're doing is playing the odds. Like right. We're not saying there is 0% chance of this happening. We're just saying it's really unlikely. Right. You probably shouldn't be betting on it, which is right. essentially what you're doing if you're drafting one of those guys high. You're rolling the dice. You're taking a gamble that this guy is going to be something he hasn't shown he's going to be yet. And all we're saying is, all right, you, it's your money. You do what you want to do. Right. But it's really unlikely this is going to pay off. So let's, uh, let's, so let's get into the actual storylines in training camp and the preseason that we find most interesting. I'll start with, alphabetically, the Arizona Cardinals. We're not going to hit every team. But the Arizona Cardinals. Good, because going to take a while. Yeah, it would. With Cliff Kingsbury coming in. There are things you can glean in the preseason. What's the system going to look like? Because we always talk about, hey, preseason's vanilla. Teams, they're running their base offense. What is the base offense in Arizona? That's the big question. Is it is it 11 personnel, which is three wide receivers, one tight end, and a running back? Or or are they going to be putting four wide receivers out there, air raid style? Yes. Is that what you want? Yeah, You want full air raid? I do. I really do. All right. I mean, so the question is, we've seen the NFL evolve over the last eight to ten years, mm-hmm. right? We've seen more zone read type of stuff. We've seen teams, be- 11 personnel, that three wide receiver package, become base personnel, essentially. Every team uh, is pretty much doing that. And then you have teams like the Patriots and the Falcons who revert back to more tight ends and fullbacks and all that fun stuff. But is this the next part of the evolution of the NFL? Are it's we going to see even, more full wide receiver sets? It's not even like an evil. Like This is going back to the run and shoot in the 80s. Like this is not like this is the eighties well, and nineties. But with the but the run and shoot happened in the eighties and nineties. The Houston Oilers were great with it right. with uh, with Warren Moon. But suppose you know the 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 old adage is that right, the, the zone blitz is, killed it, and then teams couldn't do that anymore. Yeah, but my point is, it's not like this is new. You know what I mean? This is basically just it's a cycle. We're basically just looping back. We're trying around. it again. Yeah, we're trying it again, and we're trying to prove that all the reasons in quotation marks that it died out. Are actually not really true. But right? doing one of the it, big things was always that well, you can't you can't play that offense because if you have a lead with four minutes to go, you can't run the ball out. Right. But you can. I mean, well, a a do you even need to? Right. If you have a high enough percentage of, uh, if you have a high enough efficiency in the passing game, do you even need to be running the ball? Like if I can throw a bubble screen and get seven yards on first and ten with four minutes to go and the clock keeps running, why do I need to run it up the gut and get four? So, yeah, one, mean, there's the need to even need to do that. Two, there's at this point with, um, you know, RPOs, run pass options, with the quarterbacks being part of this, like you can still run the ball in, with a run and shoot or a air raid offense, et cetera. Well, that's the point of this, right? This is the new iteration. Right. So when you have Warren Moon, you know, just dropping back to pass a million times in the early 90s with the Houston Oilers, when you tried to run the ball, you weren't using him as part of the running game. You weren't, you know, changing the box count because the quarterback was a running threat. That is the change now. Are the Arizona Cardinals going to be that four wide, air it out type well, of team, and then run it when you know, or run it because they have Kyler Murray as an option and they can mitigate some of the O line issues and box counts? And but all I that. think we're also reaching the point where teams are asking themselves, why do we need to run the ball in that situation? Like, okay, I can run the ball and try and chew four minutes off the clock, or I can score another touchdown and right. put the game even further out of your reach. With, like, who cares that I, I can't run the four I don't know offense. if teams are there yet, though. They're not, I, certainly not all of them, right? Yeah. But we're moving towards that. Right. We're moving ever closer to that. The things are shifting in that direction, at which point now is the time to give this thing a shot again. 
which is basically what I hope happens. I think that offense functions. I think it works. I think the reasons given for its demise were not actually all that accurate. I think if somebody embraced it again, we would see it have success. So you've got that. You know, is it a four-wide offense? Can they take, and as much as we isolate performance as uh, here at PFF, as much as we, I think, do a really good job of evaluating offensive lines, there are situations like the Rams offensive line a couple of years ago going from really bad to really good because of play call, because of Sean McVay and play calling and scheme and box count and all these different things that helped mitigate some of that stuff. They also got better players. And they got some better players as well. Can the Cardinals do some of that? Because on paper, they've got a bottom five offensive line, but can they scheme it up to get to 18 to 15? You know, and, and so, that's, so that's part of it as well. So I want to see what their scheme looks like. Andy Isabella, of course, Hakeem Butler, two guys that they drafted at wide receiver, how they all fit in. That's one of my big storylines, I'd say, in training camp and preseason. Yeah. How about I th- you? I think that offense is really exciting to – I, I just hope they embrace the full thing, right? And we don't get some watered-down version of an air raid offense that just looks like an NFL offense with some air raid, you know, right. trinkets hanging from it. I, th- I hope we actually get a full-bore air raid offense and see how that functions, particularly with the players that they have at their disposal to play in it. You know, right. the, the Andy Isabellas, but also Kyler Murray and David Johnson. Yeah, like absolutely. That. that could be absolutely spectacular some fascinating weapons can i just get your uh initial reaction to the bears throwback uniforms that they're going to be using ew (laughs) it's kind of like i think the socks are rough anytime you get the helmet hoop socks it's just a bad bad so i don't the jersey is not too bad minus the stripes i thought the the jersey minus the the, the jersey minus the stripes is a white t-shirt yeah i like the white and blue combo okay but, I mean, Which if you take away the stripes, wear. you've literally just got a white T-shirt with some numbers on it. Yeah. So you like a white... Okay. So there's not much you like about that as well. I'm I getting. think the helmet's worse than the socks. Really? Yeah. It's like a Michigan socks helmet with... Uh, Without the wing things. But the with front. navy and orange. What instead. are those that weird... I forget. I don't know what the proper term is. Sorry. Okay. All right. Sorry, Michigan. That's your... That's not your storyline, right? No, no, no. I just, it, it, I, it came, I came across it today. Nice. And I was like, here's a look at the Bears' 1936-inspired uh, classic uniforms. So they were in that opening night uh, against the Packers, I assume? Uh, they will wear in the upcoming season. It doesn't say Just at when some point. they're going to wear it. But, yeah, those are pretty hideous. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm not generally a fan of throwbacks unless it's like the, a, um, the AFL throwbacks were, were the decent. The AFL ones are good. Anytime Powder if the blue Eagles Chargers. go back to their old green that wasn't hideous, they're mm. great. Um, they when the Vikings been. go back to their 60s ones, those are good. Anytime you're throwing back to something from, like, the 30s is a bad idea. Apparently yeah. there was a lot of, like, color blindness or just general... You well, know. they didn't have color TV back then. Right. Whatever was happening in the 30s, there was some bad aesthetic choices being made. There was so, a cold throwback. I think 2010, they wore the, like, the blue helmet with the all-white. I thought it looked pretty good. I mean, there's a few the, that look pretty good. I mean, these are bad, but they're, the worst ones ever are either those Eagles things that were like yellow and powder blue or electric blue. They were horrible. I don't like when teams completely change their colors. Right. For and a then the other then ones confusing. that were horrendous were those Broncos ones with the all brown the brown and the stripy socks as well. Yeah, that was rough. Those those are the two worst I've ever seen. Um, but those are pretty bad. 2009, they did the AFL uh, throwback tribute and the Broncos wore that a ton. Yeah. New England yeah, wore like hideous. their red 
Pat- Patriots nice. won. Yeah. I mean, those are. I mean, there's, generally, there's anytime you go back to like a classic uniform, you're you're doing well. Yeah, because almost no uniforms have actually gotten better over the last twenty years or so. Um, the Jags, but it's when you go back stuck with their initial, right? Um, which they kind of did. I mean, they kind of they did they've gone more or less bit. back to that now. But they've gone through so many uniform changes in twenty five years. Yeah, like they should have just had the same uniforms the whole time, just stuck with and it, and maybe and then the only they they should have had teal and white, white and white, and then have a black alternate. Yeah, and get out of it, get out of there. All right. Do you have a storyline that you're that you interested in anything? <laughs> Do you have I, any interest I in wanna, training camper? I want to see it unfold. I want to see things, you know, start to present themselves. I'm really curious about how... Are we going to any training? Did you get anything sorted out, by the way? I haven't sorted anything out, but that doesn't mean we're not. Um, It's an off-air conversation, but I was just curious. I'm I'm kind of interested in the quarterback battle in New York. You are. In a kind of car crash. Let's go out there and watch them. Go to New York? Yeah. That's a hell of a drive. We got to get back to... We really need to get back to Baltimore, to Jimmy's. Jimmy's Jimmy's seafood is good. Do you we think do. Neil would fund a trip to Baltimore if we... I don't think so. How far is Baltimore from here? I mean... What kind of trip is that? I was looking like on a map hours. recently. It doesn't look that far. Oh, so I drove to I drove to Maryland during uh, Memorial Day weekend. It was like eight, eight and a half to, and to half. the beach. To right. Chesapeake so it's, Bay. it's like eight and a half, right? Neil would fund maybe a, a uh, quick trip, you think? I think. But, well, if we hit Baltimore and Philly. Baltimore and Philly. If we hit both. Philly was a good camp. Was a good training camp. Good setup there. It was. Yeah. They, they, were, they were good there. So I'm curious of this New York Giants quarterback battle, right? Yeah. Because they've at least admitted at this point that Eli Manning does need a future. Like, he's not, he's not 100% ready to go for the future for the next few years. We draft Daniel Jones six overall. So we clearly think that at some point in the impending future, there is a quarterback change that needs to happen. Right. Now the question is, what, what is Daniel Jones going to look like? Because... You know, the PFF grades were not exactly kind to him. He was getting better. Like he last did, year was, was reasonable. Yep. Um, but that's some way shy of the number six overall pick is all we were saying. We would pick that guy in the second round, for example. Right. But even if they drafted a quarterback in the second round, regardless of who it is, you would probably be looking at this team and saying, all right, I mean, we know what Eli is, which is not good at this point. Can a second round quarterback show enough in camp to be putting him under pressure as we get into the season. Right. Because, let's face it, over the first month of the season, Eli Manning is unlikely to be playing at a Pro Bowl level. And if the Giants are losing, there's going to be pressure on them to replace him in the lineup with whatever quarterback behind him had looked like they were the better option. Right. So I'm, I'm just generally interested to see if Daniel Jones can have a spectacular training camp and if Eli Manning doesn't, how much pressure comes on them to make a switch. Well, that's the, this is the old interesting part about training camp too because it doesn't really matter what eli does right the reason why we're in this situation is because they looked at eli manning and said well we were at otas and he makes nfl throws i just saw him at otas in may and the guy still has it that's why you can't because he could go to training camp and have a pretty good few weeks he always still throws a deep comeback he still throws the ball up the seam of course like He's, right. an NFL, he's still a top 32 quarterback in the world, so he's going to make NFL-type throws. So we cannot overrate Eli Manning's performance in the preseason. He, at this point, you should say he is what he is. Right. Daniel Jones is the story. The other interesting thing, though, is the effect that media has on the whole narrative and pressure angle. So you're right. You're 100% right that nothing Eli Manning does in the next few weeks of training camp should have any bearing whatsoever on whether they make the switch to Daniel Jones. But it does, right? Because if he has a stinking training camp, if he spends three weeks 
just drilling the ball at linebackers, throws a million picks, basically doesn't do anything good. There's not like the overwhelming pressure from the New York media will be to make a switch at quarterback heading into the season. And as much as you want as an organization to be like, we have to blot that out and not paying it any attention, they don't. They will pay attention to that. Especially it, in New York. That, yeah, that pressure does have a material impact on what you do as a team. So that's the other sort of fascinating narrative about all this is that what things that happen in training camp that shouldn't really impact the decisions you make will because of the pressure that comes on you from the outside as an organization. Right. Uh, yeah, I think... Um I think the teams that treat training camp for what it is, which is overall a small sample size and overall something that should not sway whatever you thought going in. Assuming your baseline is good, this is where I think we struggle, right? Because we keep saying, hey, rookies are what they are, right? They're not going to change a whole lot. But I feel confident that it's to say that because I feel like we've got a good baseline of what they are. Assuming you have a good baseline of what players are, even if a guy has a great training camp or a bad training camp, it should only move the needle a little bit. It's not like, hey, this guy who we thought was the 12th best wide receiver on the team is now the best wide receiver. Like it's, You're not making that type of move, but maybe that guy wins the fifth wide receiver spot because he you know, elevated himself a little bit. It's trying to keep all of that stuff in perspective. The teams that do that best and don't overrate what they see, I think, will build the best rosters because that's what they're all trying to do. They're trying to find the best 53 that fit what they're trying to do. Yeah, I mean, th- that, that's true, but you have to weigh that against um, the idea that when you get a guy in a completely different situation, he's just different to what you thought he was. Whether that's a free agent coming in who, you know, put in a different scheme is suddenly a transformed player. There's something there, sure. Or the same kind of idea coming out of college, you know, guys who were just trapped in something that was making them look worse than they were. Suddenly when you surround them with NFL talent and, you know, an NFL scheme, you're like, wow, this guy's actually a completely different player than we thought he was. It's understanding some, I think those ones are obvious. But those you know, are the ones where I'm Dak saying, that's, but I'm saying that the baseline was obviously wrong. Right. Right. So if the but, baseline was wrong, yeah, it's identifying when you have the baseline wrong. Yeah, because right. you know you're gonna want you want to take the approach of let's not overreact to everything we're seeing here because you know we have faith in the system and it's understanding when okay we just we had this one wrong from the outset we need to make adjustments because this guy's clearly different than we thought he was. Right. It's it's that balance. Right. It's the other one is <laughs> you're right. It's it's all about how good your calibration was. There was a story years ago that the Cowboys drafted this guy based off a blazing 40 time. Like, this guy's got speed to burn. He's incredible. He's fast. They got him out in the field, like, first practice. You're like, huh? This guy's supposed to run a 4-3-something. Where is this speed? And apparently they went out. They said to scout. They were like, hey, will you go back? It was like a local kid. They were like, hey, will you go back and measure the 40 that he ran at his pro day? Turned out he ran a 38-yard 40, (laughs) and they drafted this guy based off, like, a 4-3 speed. So from that point on... Whenever you go to uh, pro day, somebody is out there with a tape measure, making sure it's actually forty yards. But that's a smart ex- adjustment, right? That's an example of you know your calibration was off to begin with. Yeah. Your baseline was mi- misled you, and once you got the guy in the building, you're like, ah, okay, yeah, this is this is different to what we thought we were getting. Yeah. So, did you come up with a storyline, or you just the, said I just want to Giants see. quarterback? Oh, that's right, you said okay. I thought I, I forgot that that was what spurred that whole conversation. Yeah. How about the Raiders? I don't think yeah. So we talked about rookies and all that stuff. What about the Raiders? Three, well, four, four top forty picks, three first rounders. 
Just want to see what they look like immediately. Oh. Is Cleveland Farrell going to be worth it as the fourth overall pick? Jonathan Abram, Trayvon Mullen. That's not even the best tra- story in the Raiders. Well, it's a training camp fights. Yes. Obviously. Richie Incognito going one-on-one against Vontaze um, Perfect. Like, practice after practice. What if they're buddies and roommates? They could be roommates. They could be. I, I'm, I just think you put those two together and blocking drills, you're going to see some fireworks. Oh, yeah. I think. Poor old Cleveland Farrell on the sideline trying to marshal it all because of his leadership. Well, I, that's what I really want to see. Running out there with a whistle and a flag. I want to see the leadership of Cleveland Farrell, Jonathan Abram, and Josh Jacobs. Just their first-round picks. I want to see their leadership. Trying to control that chaos. So they're, the Raiders rookies, one of the bigger storylines of all of camp because it was supposed to be this fran- – it is a franchise-defining draft, either yes. good, bad, or indifferent. That's the key. Right? It is a franchise-defining draft. It just might not be defining it the way they want it to be. So I think – and again, you know, everybody's, ah, oh, you can't judge rookies until year three and blah, 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 blah. Uh, there's, there's an element to that, but we're also in a world where the rookies have either four or five years to prove themselves. So if you truly are waiting until year three or four, you're missing a part of their rookie contract. It is actually valuable to be good as a rookie yeah. and to be good in your second year. Uh, so a guy like Jerry Hughes, who became a very good player, was pretty much useless for three years. <laughs> so that hurt his value to the Colts, and then they traded him, and you know they didn't get first-round value out of Jerry Hughes. It helps to be good as a rookie, and because the numbers keep pointing us to this, players don't change a ton. Some players get better. Some players develop a little bit. But for the most part, they are what they are. So there is a first impression that is useful. And I want to see the first impression on Cleveland Farrell, Jonathan Abram, Trayvon Mullen on the defensive side of the ball for the Raiders. Uh, I don't care that much about the Josh Jacobs first impression because, again, offensive side. Yeah, interchangeable. He said defensive. Um, I don't care about Josh Jacobs on the offensive side. Yes. I, I mentioned the three defensive players. Yeah. But you yes. said on the defensive side. Oh, okay. I don't care about Josh Jacobs. Yeah, I don't care about him I on the defensive on the side either. Yeah, well, maybe he'll end up more valuable in defense. Um, his development on the offensive side, though, you know, of course, depends on how the offensive line and Trent Brown and some of these new guys incognito, how they run block for him. Yeah, I mean, Trent Brown will be an interesting one to watch as well because, you know, you take him away from offensive line Jesus over there in, in New England. Yeah. And now you say, okay, big man, fend for yourself right. in Oakland with, uh, you know, without a an offensive line Jesus. How's that going to go? Plus the quick dropbacks, quick passing game, and all that stuff. So, yeah. so the Raiders have a few storylines to watch. Do you have one more? Uh, let's go with another uh, another training camp battle. Um, Joe Flacco against you know Drew another Lock. quarterback, any other quarterback really. Um, I think. Oh, I think J- Joe Flacco has a slight rejuvenation. Yeah, yeah. I think. I think there's a combination of. The Broncos scheme, mm-hmm. they're going to be running that outside zone play-action scheme that we've seen elevate mid-tier quarterbacks it's over the last couple years. before, in fact, right? Yes, and the last time he had a good season was 2014 in the Kubiak scheme. Yeah. And we were sitting there in weeks 8, 9, 10, where he was like, hey, he's, he's bounced back a little bit. Because here's Flacco's career. 2012, the year that they won the Super Bowl, he wasn't good right until, until about yeah, week five 15 or so. Then he went on a good stretch. And the stretch wasn't as great as the numbers showed. But it was a good stretch. It was the best stretch of his career. That was 2012. 2013, he was terrible again. I mean, he really dropped off. That was everybody's like, LOL, Flacco, too much money. Is he elite? No, it's terrible. And then 14, rejuvenation with Kubiak in that system. Intermediate passing game was pretty good. 
And then 15, 16, 17, and 18, pretty bad. I mean, he was a bottom third quarterback, but it was, but that was also with a terrible receiving core, and it looked like a guy that needed to have a ton of a, aggressiveness to his game. He needed, a, he needed to take some chances. It's Joe Flacco. He's not going to dink and dunk you, you know, on 15-play drives all the time. He's going to create chunk plays with a decent arm, not a cannon for an arm anymore. And he just didn't have that with the Ravens. So as much as we like to say, oh, Flacco's graded terribly, which he has. He deserves, you know, blame for playing poorly over the last couple of years. He did have one of the worst situations as far as playmakers go for multiple years in Baltimore. So I could see a situation where you've got Cortland Sutton, you've got some young receivers, you have an emerging top 10 offensive line, I think, Mm -hmm. and you have a scheme that's probably going to elevate him a little bit. I wouldn't be surprised. I'm not predicting i'm not saying he's a top 10 quarterback i just wouldn't be surprised if we saw a slight rejuvenation and there's a storyline at some point where it's like hey joe flacco looks the best he's looked in years okay that's my take on that sorry i stole your i stole your story that's all right i mean i think that's a reasonable take i could see that materializing for the same reasons i also think that drew Locke is in a really good spot in denver i think that's a really good space for him to end up or a good team for him to end up particularly as a second round quarterback that won't be immediately thrust into the action and basically just told hey you're the guy go Right. Go do it. Um, Very good situation. So I'm just curious to see how that plays out, whether because there's no pressure on him, because he's not expected to be the guy from day one, he actually has an inside track to, you know, showing his best self right right from the get go and, you know, steals a march on Joe Flacco. But I could easily see they're both in good situations for the first time in a while. Uh, Right. You know, Denver's the Denver's quarterback situation is actually a good one for a quarterback to find himself in. Now they just need to actually find the quarterback, whether it's you know, a slight rebounce in Joe Flacco or whether it's because Drew Locke is in a good situation and he can develop, uh, unlike some of these other first-round quarterbacks, remains to be seen. Yeah, and we always, I mean, we've been trying to, you know, downplay the idea that players get better and all that stuff, but as far as quarterbacks go, if you do get a quarterback that's coming, like Drew Locke is, out of a Baylor-ish type of system, even though last year they had a lot more pro-style concepts, that's what Jimmy G came out of. That is a system that is truly playing a different game Mm -hmm. you're not reading defenses you're not doing nfl things so if you watch garoppolo's early career he looked as quick as his releases he looked slow processing the game so a guy coming out of that system i think can improve their processing power can improve their ability to work through progressions a little bit quicker so that's why we always said drew lock hey i wouldn't take him in the first round but second round with the arm talent with the with the fact that he hasn't done a ton of nfl things in college he could be one of those guys that improves. Yeah, I, I don't know that everybody or the, the sort of the average fan appreciates just how much quarterbacks are expected to process post-snap. Yeah. You know, so a lot of the, 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 real di- uh, the real issue or the real difference between these sort of hardcore college offenses and NFL systems is how much happens between the point where the ball is snapped and you actually throw it, right? Which is what, four seconds on average, let's yep. say? So, and not even that. But so, a couple of seconds, basically. The amount you're expected to process in this time between those offenses and NFL offense is insane. College offenses, those, those, that style of offense, all the work is done pre-snap, right? You, under, you see what they're lining up as. Um, you understand, essentially, where that's showing you to dictate the ball. And then you drop back, and it's essentially one read just to make sure what you saw pre-snap is still what you're seeing then. Right. Then you know where the ball's going, and it's out. It's done. Right. NFL, you are working on this like 
cascade, this sequence of information that you have to process. Half the time watching NFL defenses shift during the play and changing from something you thought you saw to something completely different and you having to react to that to go to somewhere else with the ball, it's absurd. Like you've, There are videos out there of Kirk Cousins essentially talking through what this means and instead of college where it's like you read this guy to go here with the ball – in the NFL, you're reading this guy to understand where this guy is going to move, which then pushes you to this t- this guy. You're like three moves on. Right. It's it's insane. The and then you have to throw the ball right. on time. To the right guy. Inaccurately. Not, yeah. It's the level of information those guys are expected to process in like a couple of seconds is absolutely insane. And that, I think, is not – it's not an intelligent skill. So that's, I think, what people get – caught up in sometimes you know this guy's got a low wonderlick score he'll never be able to play quarterback at the nfl level it's it's a different skill set right you can be a really smart guy and not be able to make those instant quick decision calculations that you have to do in a couple of seconds the flip side is true you can be a genius and not be able to make those you know those calculations it's like it's a i think it's a really unique skill set that i don't know there's a great way of testing for yet which is why i think quarterbacks is still a relative crapshoot when it comes to the draft yeah like you may be able to see it on tape but i don't know if you can test for it well um but i think that's a, a sort of fascinating element of all this is you get these guys from these systems that don't ask them to do this and then you don't really know until you start getting them to do it whether they're going to be capable of it and I imagine that that's the kind of skill set that takes a while to develop, right? You don't just say, all right, now I, now I need you to process this entire bank of information right. every play, and they're just able to do it immediately. Like, that's, that's the kind of thing that takes an exercise at. That's why the good schemes, and we always joke about, you know, hey, the run game's so overrated, teams shouldn't even run. But we've talked to quarterbacks who say, sometimes you just need a mental break. I mean, right. If you drop back 60 times and you truly have to process correctly over and over and over and over again, it is mentally taxing as well as physically. You know, it's just it's tough to do. So the best schemes, if you're going to drop back 40 times, you have a chunk of plays that are easier for the quarterback. That's why play action helps because it it, it uh, uh, simplifies the reads. That's why you know boot action you know makes it a half field read and makes it simple you know simple. So the best schemes have easy throws built in they have easy reads built in but at some point you do have to drop back on third and eight right and understand everything I mean, and any, it's challenging anytime you can make the quarterback's life easier it's a good idea it doesn't mean you should do it every play right but you know andrew luck is one of the best quarterbacks in the nfl andrew luck was made better when you took some of the burden off of him with this frank reich offense right? right when you simplify the scheme you do more quick stuff that is predetermined you you have less plays we're expecting him to drop back and in three and a half seconds compute a world of information and make everything happen by, his, by himself. When you, when you reduce the amount of those plays that you're expecting from him, the overall output is better. You get a better Andrew Luck because you're not asking so much of him. Now, he's still capable of doing all that, and he will do it plenty of times in a game. But when every play doesn't require that to happen, you are a better offense overall. I think the same thing will be true with Aaron Rodgers in this new offense, now that it all doesn't rest on his shoulders, you will get right. a better Aaron Rodgers. Just, I mean, it's, it's logical, right? It, it seems counterintuitive because you think, if my quarterback is doing all this, is capable of doing all these crazy things, why would I not want him to do that every play? That's, that's the interesting thing about Luck's entire career, But right? actually, the logic is, if you make life easier for him most of the plays you get a better version of him when you do need him to do that. that that's been Luck's career because he said Bruce Arians 
Pep Hamilton, Rob Chazinski, all these offensive coordinators who do like to push the ball down the field and all that stuff, they've put a lot on his plate his entire career. They did put a lot on his plate and said, well, he can he can drop back and he can progress from one side of the field to the next. He can do all these things. Let's let's do that. Let's ask the most of Andrew Luck. So you're right. I mean, when they did take a little bit of that off his plate last year, um, you do see good results. Can we finish with uh, some PFF numbers? Okay. Stats of the week? You have a stat of the week? week? I have multiple things. What I just stat happened in the week of July the 22nd? Oh, nothing. This is... Um, this is from the last three seasons, huh. including the playoffs. Okay. I tweeted out the highest-graded quarterbacks on plays outside the pocket. All right. So this is either design rollouts or scramble drill, mm-hmm. essentially. The highest-graded quarterbacks. I think there's some interesting numbers on this entire list. The highest grade is Patrick Mahomes. Probably not surprising a whole lot of people, but he is so far above everybody else. He also has 179 attempts. I don't have the ranking there, but that would probably be like 15th. Right. Since 2016, and he only played. He's only played 17, Once 18, season. 19 games total uh, between the, including the oh, playoffs. Including the playoffs. Um, but 94.2 grade. Number two is Jimmy Garoppolo, who on those plays either design rollouts. So he's run a lot of those within the San Francisco scheme when he's had an opportunity, but also just outside structure plays. He's seven touchdowns, no interceptions, four big time throws, no turnover worthy plays. Might surprise people. Smaller sample, only 59 attempts. Here's the other, some other nuggets that came out of it. Mahomes has 21 big-time throws. Since 2016, that is tied for second hmm. in the NFL. Okay. So Russell Wilson, number one, with 22. Makes sense. And then Mahomes and Rodgers, tied for second with 21. The third quarterback in big-time throws on those plays is Matthew Stafford. Huh. But he also, so he has 14 big-time throws, but also tied for the most turnover-worthy plays with 14. So when you always talk about Stafford, you know, and taking that next step and all that stuff, I think that kind of sums him up. He can make those spectacular plays outside the pocket, but it's a little bit of risk reward. Okay. And then recently we talked about Marcus Mariota. We had a little video posted on our site, and I said that for a guy that is so mobile and so athletic, Mariota ranks 39th out of 47 qualifiers in PFF grade on plays outside the pocket. And the point I was trying to make about Mariota, you're never going to hang your hat on this. This doesn't define the player, so to speak. But Mariota is not the best inside the pocket court. He's not the best. He's not a top 10 quarterback inside the pocket. If he was to bridge the gap, it'd be plays outside of structure. He's been bad at those. Yeah. How many is three big time throws and seven turnover worthy? Is that what it says there? Yes, it does. He makes bad decisions outside the pocket. He's had some ugly interceptions. And I think that's one of those things that has limited him from taking the next step. This is never going to be the main part of his game. But if he was better, if he just had better, a lot of these, a lot of these numbers, because you'll see Tom Brady, Matt Ryan, Big Ben, guys that aren't the most, mo- I mean, Brady especially, yeah. they're up there in the grades because this is a, this is like an instinct type of grade it's how, not just athleticism how did you miss like the most fascinating stat line in this entire thing oh so is this it? is going to get us into trouble again right because mitchell trubisky have you mentioned christian hackenberg yet not yet but i can probably get to it from here give me a give me a minute so mitchell trubisky was ranked 45th in this list there's only 47 players on it and two of them are deshaun kaiser and josh rosen so for mitchell trubisky to be 45th is pretty bad uh, his grade is 36.2 when you said Mahomes is 94 point something. That's, again, pretty bad. But, you know, we talk about this idea of interception luck and not all bad throws are picked, not all great throws are caught, blah, blah, blah. 
Mitchell Trubisky's touchdown to interception ratio is 10 touchdowns, four picks on these plays. His big-time throw to turnover-worthy play ratio is four big-time throws, which resulted in 10 touchdowns, to eight turnover-worthy plays, which resulted in just four picks. So we said so that's, serious interception. Right, that's market. about as extreme as you're going to get in terms of good plays or not great plays resulting in big, good results and bad plays not resulting in bad results. And one of those plays, I believe, would have been the play that I posted a couple weeks right. ago where he threw the ball pretty much right to a safety in the end zone in the divisional playoff game against the Eagles and was dropped. So Marcus Mariota is actually similar. He's seven touchdowns, four, uh, four picks, which is three big-time throws and seven turnover-worthy plays. Same kind of ratio, right? A guy who's, whose numbers will look a lot better than his actual play did. And those are the things you, know, you need to dive into to understand why the grade doesn't match the box score. Because what? Trubisky, we got passer rating on this thing? Yeah, Mitchell yep. Trubisky's passer rating is 83.4 in these plays. Which is reasonable, because you're and talking the, about plays where there's right. throwaways. And, different and the guys around him, Josh Allen is just above him in terms of grade. His passer rating is 34 on the same kind of play. So about 50 right? points different, but similar. Deshaun Kaiser is the worst player. His passer rating is zero. Uh, Josh Rosen's passer rating is 50. Lamar Jackson, 58. Like, all those guys around him, the passer rating is 50s and below. Mitchell Trubisky's passer rating is 83, because those throws have actually ended up looking way better than they, than they were. Wow. So there you go. So you, we've hit our quota of... Trubisky hate? Yeah, trashing him. Uh, the other thing I think, you know, reverting back to our uh, analysis on quarterback, rookie quarterbacks last year, you have guys like Baker Mayfield's at five. We thought he has, inside the pocket, he's fantastic, but outside the pocket instincts. Sam Darnold's number 15. Even though he had his ups and downs last year as a rookie, he's had those outside the pocket type of instincts. Jameis Winston sitting there at 16. Another guy that makes a lot of plays outside of structure, but he has 14, he's tied with Stafford with 14 turnover-worthy plays. People ask him where Russell Wilson is because he's kind of like the poster boy for making plays outside the pocket. His grade's only 63, but he's got the most yards with over 2,700. Hmm. Um, but he is actually, he's great within the, uh, from within the pocket. Yeah. His outside-the-pocket numbers, he has 13 turnover-worthy throws. That's a, that's a lot, even though it's a higher, you know, much higher uh, number of attempts there. Um, you know, Wilson isn't perfect outside the pocket, but yeah, he's, he's still scary. I mean, he lives outside, outside the pockets. So you're going to get a lot more of everything. Yeah, and, it, and it's going to revert back uh, a little bit more variance. So, yeah, I think this is a, um, it's not just an athleticism measure, right? You can't just say Marcus Mariota is great because he's athletic. It, it's uh, passing instincts. It's decision-making. There's a lot that goes into it. Yeah, Kaiser's pretty rough down here, Sam. Yeah. Pretty rough. Yeah, Kaiser, bad at football. But, yeah, you'll see even, you know, most of your best quarterbacks are Still sitting at the top for the most part. All right. So your uh, stats of the week. Solid stat of the week. Numbers of the week. Do you like the hard copy? Wasn't that so easy to look at? I mean, I would have liked it all on one sheet, uh, so I didn't have to. I couldn't squeeze it all. But there's 47 rows. I know. You wouldn't be able to read it. Your your eyes aren't good. You're turning 37 this week. Maybe you could have had two sheets taped them together, so it would have been one big sheet. Yeah. Growth mentality. Room to improve. I mean, I'm just giving you ways you can get better. I'm coaching points. I appreciate it. Coaching points. Two sheets. One side. Tape them together so I just get one big sheet. For next week's stats of the week. I'll do that. Okay. Uh, Let's wrap it up with what's going on, pff.com. What does everybody need to know? Fantasy Playbook version 2 is out this week. Hold on. There's a second version of that? Oh, there's a few versions coming. We add more things as we get closer to the season. That's fantastic. Fancier and fancier. So version 2 is out this morning, I believe. Um, Also coming, a bunch of top 10s on the website. 
um, a whole bunch of stuff. So get to pff.com. Not profootballfocus.com anymore. PFF.com. You're not even allowed to say Pro Football Focus. No, anymore. not in this office. There's a memo, spoiler alert to everybody that works at PFF. Mm. There's a memo on its way out. Yeah. That's saying no more Pro you Football don't Focus. You do it. We so are PFF. PFF.com. That's who we are. Uh, get to all the good stuff and get on your fantasy playbook. Like, that is so powerful as a tool, the fantasy playbook, that you, who knows nothing about fantasy football, is able to, like, win an expert's league annually, it seems, Not based off lie. just stealing the PFF playbook data. Multiple years in a row hmm. of uh, winning the regular season, which I think is better than winning, because you know, it's just bigger sample size, right? Okay. But I've won, I've won the postseason as well, right. tw- two yeah. out of three years. Right. But I pretty much win the regular season every year and get the most points. And again, the points, it's like, that's what you can control. I can't control what my opponents do. I control the points. Right. And it's all based off you of... You get unlucky in a week, but it's, you're not getting unlucky over a full season. No. I grab my fantasy playbook. I do my research. Yeah. With that only. Steal all the information from it. And then go. And crush the experts in your league. It's great. So uh, that's all I'm saying is you should... People out there, get your fantasy playbook. Win your is league. that Edge or Elite? <sighs> I think it's Edge. Yeah. Either way, you've you got Edge. Elite, though. You, you, got want ed- elite. you want Elite. Elite has everything you need. And, and that's, you know, over at PFF.com. Either way, the best get in there for your fantasy playbook have. because apparently it's able to turn Steve into a fantasy champion regularly. That should just, be the, the line. just like once. Turn anybody into a fantasy champion. Turn this guy, the picture of you just grinning at the thing, into a fantasy champion. Fantasy champion. All right, that'll do it for this week. Next week, do you want to start previews next week? Yeah, Season sure. previews? Uh-huh. All right, so season previews are going to start next week. We're going to... Work our way through them. We'll add, you know, we'll just get into some some real detail, some real football. We're going to preview the season. We'll go division by division starting next week. Thank you guys for tuning in. And uh, the team's back. We're not going to high five again. No. That's it. The team's back. It's football season. And we'll be talking about football again next week, next Monday. PFF NFL podcast. See you guys. quick break to tell you guys about nfl game pass the only way that you can replay every game all season long you can relive all the gutsy calls crazy catches wild comebacks and breakout stars from every game every week it's all the action all the football you can handle all in one place so every game that we're talking about right now you guys can rewatch it after the fact i'm gonna be going back and you guys can too go check out lamar jackson in week one go check out dak prescott and what that cowboys offense actually did go check out kyler murray and his nfl debut that's my favorite thing about nfl game pass you can go back and watch at any time and if you haven't watched a condensed game yet you have to try it out it's every play from the game back to back to back so you can replay an entire nfl game in the fraction of the time it normally takes it's how i'm able to follow all the mvp candidates all the breakout stars and of course your waiver wire pickups all season long to see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at NFL.com slash Pro Football Focus NFL.